It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. Well, g'day listeners and welcome to The Two Jacks. It's episode 18 of our merged program where we... Uh, introduce uh, topics Australian and overseas, uh, put them all together and round it up with a bit of sport and silliness at the end. And joining me, <coughs> as usual, is uh, Hong Kong Jack, all the way in Hong Kong. How are you, mate? Yes, the last remaining city in the world um, uh, to require a mask mandate. Um, uh, but I believe the, the, the rumour is that it will be lifted tomorrow on the 1st of March. Still indoors, but not outdoors. Is that, um, is that in the way? some locations indoors? Um, uh, uh, you know, health healthcare facilities, etc., but not general. Um, and they're probably going to recommend it on public transport and stuff. But um, we had we, we've been in the embarrassing situation where um, visitors from the mainland have had to reacquaint themselves with a mask mandate because they haven't got one over there. Very strange. Um, of course, we we looked at the Cochrane study last week uh, on the program, which sort of indicates that uh, masks don't do a whole lot. Now, there have been some dispute about that from scientists, and there should be in any sort of peer review process, um, but it would seem that it is more important to have clean hands than a mask on your face, Jack. It is. Um, there should always be dispute in science. That's what the whole nature of the yeah. beast is. Uh, the other big news here from Hong Kong is we've had a particularly grisly murder. Ooh. Um, um, Do a, tell. A, a young uh, model, mid-20s, uh, perhaps late 20s, um, uh, was uh, uh, the, they charged the father, the, the ex-father-in-law and the ex-husband um, uh, with her murder. Um they found a pair of female legs in a in a refrigerator and a large pot of soup which seemed to contain human remains. Oh, dear, dear. A bit of cannibalism going on yeah, there, Jack. Well, I'm not, not sure. They were trying to dispose of the remains. And the or father, make a stew. Uh, yeah, um, make a stew. The father-in-law was arrested on the uh, on a, uh, a pier out near the airport um, with 500,000 honkies in cash and uh, a number of Rolexes worth about $4 million, and he was waiting for a speedboat to head uh, back to head to the mainland, I think. So, so the, the, the motive would seem to be some form of uh, jealousy that, uh, that no, she'd no. taken off? Or? And, and this is a real Hong Kong story. This is, this is a dispute over the ownership of a, a very expensive flat in Kaduri Hill. Oh, dear. And, uh, Apparently the flat was born in the bought by the model, but in the father-in-law's name. Uh, and, so, um, and and he'd be looking at a decent stretch. What's the maximum for a grisly murder, Jack? We're well, talking about life as life. Well, well, we we did have the chap who um, who uh, who uh, the English fellow of Eastern European background who was a, a trader and who was coked up and managed to kill two young ladies from uh, the bars in Wan Chai and he had one stuffed in the suitcase on the balcony, um, uh, uh, the, the remains thereof, uh, while he was murdering the second one. So uh, he, got, he got life, basically. So never to be released. Never to be released. No death penalty in Hong Kong? No. Okay. All right. 
because uh, <laughs> if there was Jackie, I'd be looking at. Uh, I, I do recall there was a wonderful sort of documentary called Shanghai Vice that ran on the ABC. I don't think they knew quite what to do with it. It ran very late on a Sunday night. And uh, in uh, on the mainland, of course, uh, if you fell fo- fell afoul of you know that sort of grisly business, uh, you were marched in the courtroom. Uh, you were pretty much found guilty straight away, and then you yeah. had an appeal if you were given the death penalty. Automatic appeal the following day, and a uh, bit of a shake of the head, and off you go. Yes. Um, is that is that true? By the way, I, I always thought it was a myth that the Chinese government will send the next of kin uh, an invoice for the bullet. It sounds a little bit too much. I, I've never quite believed that. No, I, yeah. I, I've read the same stories, but I've, I've never quite fallen for that one. It seems a little bit too much. Look, we're going to move on. We just and, and of course, we, disclaimer here, no one's been found guilty of this yet. You know. oh, no, yes, uh, innocent, uh, presumption of innocence uh, runs, of course, but I'm going to have a look at that. That does sound very fascinating. Um we, we won't spend a lot of time on Marsh Jack. We did that last week. We've got some readers' letters here. Our, uh, an old mate of ours from uh, the, the JTI, JTI blog at The Australian has got in touch. Uh, Ray, uh, Ray, I won't get into his uh, surname, of course. Sorry, Ray. Um, he's uh, <clears throat> known to you as Baseman. Yep. Uh, and, uh, look, he, he, he dropped me a lovely little line about uh, his cricketing prowess. He's, shit, by geez, he's become a good player since he's retired. And uh, Don't we, Haven't we all? Haven't we all? <laughs> That's right. But, but he wanted to make a very good point about, um, uh, about sudden cardiac arrest. It seems to be sort of... It's like uh, if you listen to anti-vaxxers, no one's ever had a heart attack before, um, and um, and we have this sort of annoying um, hashtag of died suddenly. But people have been dying suddenly for a long time. Uh, in fact, as long as people have been about. And but Baseman wanted to talk to talk to us about the coronary calcium score as the most important thing, and he talks about a very simple test. Um, <clears throat> that's available through a cardiologist. Um, he talks about the stats. One Australian dies every 12 minutes. Poor bugger. <laughs> Sorry, that's an you old must, joke. You must be getting sick of it by now. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So one Australian dies every 12 minutes of a heart attack or some vascular disorder. And and Ray has just gone through the process of having a calcium test. His figures weren't great, but they weren't too bad. But he uh, wanted to recommend... Um, he wanted to recommend that to our listeners, particularly of a certain age. Uh, as we talked about last week, uh, I hit the scars of about 121 kilos, and I said, "Oh, perhaps I should just start walking it off." And they said, "Oh, for God's sake, don't don't exercise straight away. Um, go and go and have a stress test," which I ultimately did, and lost a bit of weight after that. Um, so yes, uh, it, it may well be that uh, I'm certainly not a cardiologist. So I don't recommend this, but. Uh, but Ray at least suggests that uh, if you are um, of a certain vintage and uh, and you're wondering whether you should uh, make some lifestyle changes and do a bit of exercise and that sort of stuff, uh, perhaps, or just in general, uh, you should go and get a coronary calcium score test and uh, consult with your GP and your cardiologist about that to avoid that sort of sudden moment that uh, shocks us all. Um, another letter we've got, Jack, it contains two topics, um, uh, and both from uh, Lawrence, uh, one of our uh, beloved readers, uh, Farmer Lawrence, we call him. Um, and we'll start with topic two. 
Um, he heard, heard about a report from Europe that an average family in Slovenia is now considered better off than the average family in the UK. Can't vouch for its veracity, he says. It was not a US World Affairs podcast I listened to. Um, uh, with the continuing post-Brexit hangover, political gridlock, the decline of basic services like Royal Mail, trains and NHS, rumblings from the Scots about independence, that probably won't happen now, can the UK get its act together? Someone, something to watch out for, dissatisfaction in the rural areas, farmers very unhappy about free trade deals, losing EU subsidies, but not the red tape. Jack, uh, we have heard uh, just in relation to this that tomatoes, cucumbers, uh, uh, capsicums, etc., are now being rationed through many um, supermarkets, uh, through, through the chain supermarkets in the UK. Um, and uh, there doesn't seem to be any real cause for it, but well, in terms of that those vegetables are plentiful in Europe, but not so much in the UK. Is that an, is that a consequence of Brexit? Is that a consequence of some of the supply problems that come with Brexit? Um, I think uh, the immediate uh, uh, cause of it was um, uh, frosts and problems in North Africa where they've been getting a lot of their vegetables from. That's right. They do come. A, a, a preponderance come from Algeria and Morocco. Yeah. Um, that those types of vegetables, fruits, I think indeed, uh, a tomato is called. Um, um, but it would seem that the rest of Europe's okay now, but not the UK. Yeah, it's a bit slower. Um, I did see a wonderful um, uh, little meme on a uh, little photo on on the net. Um, of a, a, a dirty white van in London and someone had um, used the, the, the wet finger on the back to write, uh, no tomatoes kept in this van overnight. <laughs> well, yes. I did speak to a mate of mine who lives in London and I asked him if he'd like me to send him a bag of tomatoes and uh, he declined. Um, so... Um, uh, so he says he'd be right, um, but yeah, there are, there clearly are some 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 issues that arise from Brexit in terms of supply. It would seem that while Europe, while there might be shortages of goods from time to time, Europe will get them quicker than than the UK will. Um, topic one. We'll get to now from Lawrence, and that's Israel, and with a new coalition government with some very right-wing, ultra-orthodox factions. Legislation drawn up that a simple majority in the parliament can overrule the Supreme Court. Talk of settlement expansion, uh, suspected of uh, bombing a factory in Iran. Is this going to blow up into major unrest? Well, let me just stop you there, Jack, because it more or less has, hasn't it? There have been protests on the streets in Israel, Tel Aviv and in Jerusalem. Yep, politics in, in Israel is a, uh, a vigorous uh, pastime. Uh, it's yes. contact sport. What's 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 Benjamin up to, mate? What, what's he doing? <coughs> um, what's he up to? Well, I think he's trying to um, uh, placate the more extreme ends of his coalition um, before he gets on with the rest of it. Yeah, um, what's happening? <coughs> what's happening with his uh, prosecutions, Jack? I don't know. I, I think I, it's I, all I, been sent away. I mean, I it's all very odd. Um, do really the right wing ultra orthodox factions do they represent your common or garden Israeli, Jack? No, they're a, they're a, they're a minority, a very much a minority group. But if you need them to 
um, to uh, form a coalition government, you've got to give them <coughs> a couple of little carrots. Um, yeah, indeed. It would seem that, you know, the, it, it's a coalition of about four, four parties, including some, <coughs> uh, including some um, uh, quite heavy ones. Yeah. Um, <coughs> all right. Um, I just must say, I should have listened to Bassman myself, to be quite honest. I mean, I've, I've, I've been keeping a couple of cardiologists here in Hong Kong. Uh, yes. Yeah, well, you, you haven't died suddenly. That's the main thing, Jack. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> with question marks over whether the vaccination has caused your death. Of course, it's all bloody, it's all, it's all bloody nonsense. Of course, people have sudden cardiac arrest all the time, and there is a good way to prevent it. And Ray's brought that to us, and we thank Lawrence Dew for his letter. Uh, meanwhile, in Australia, Mardi Gras, Jack, you would remember various Mardi Gras while you're in Sydney. It's a great time yep. to be in the city. Um, uh, I used to drive. Uh, off to a game of cricket very early in, uh, on the Sunday morning after Mardi Gras, Jack, and it was always a uh, beautiful scene, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful tableau of uh, of, uh, of Sydney at its finest. Uh, men lying in the gutter, face down with their chaps on and what have you. It was, uh, it was uh, always a, a great indication. But fun time was had by all, especially Lydia Thorpe, Jack. Yeah, I believe I, I saw, just saw a little clip of this that she was um, protesting against the police participating yes. in Mardi Gras. Is that correct? Yes, and and just to show how serious she was, she waited for the police flight to go past and then jumped under <laughs> under the truck of a of a group called I think it's called Twenty Something, who provide uh, uh, who provide support for uh, LGBTQI youth, uh, homeless youth. Uh, and so that's a very genuine sort of charity. Um, it, it, it would seem that her uh, role as a politician is becoming more performative as we speak, Jack. Is, is this the only way she's got to have her voice heard and that very small group of Indigenous Australians she um, claims to represent? Pretty much it is. This is the the nature of of um, minority politics that you pull stunts. Yeah, it is, isn't it? We, we might remember uh, Nick Xenophon. He used to get dressed up uh, every now and yeah. then and turn up to a press conference in various costumes or, hmm. you know, whatever was going on. It seems she certainly copped a fair bit of criticism from the Mardi Gras organisers who said, uh, they uh, didn't uh, mind her protesting, but uh, they were pretty unhappy with the way she stops trucks and so forth. And there were uh, they indicated there was a potential safety issue. She, uh, she 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 made her way back onto her feet without the assistance of police, uh, and then she started waving her arms around a little bit, Jack. And I thought, oh, here we go. But the police were very 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 good about it, and just simply, I think they. You know, very quickly gave her a moving on order mm. and, and escorted her from the Mardi Gras precinct. Um, but, yeah, waving the arms around in front of the, the wallopers, you've only got to make contact and you've got a few problems. The thought yeah. did occur, Jack, that she might have had a couple of sherries before uh, before <laughs> the uh, – and I have no basis for this, um, but I did see a tweet from her earlier in the day uh, where she was wishing everyone a happy Mardi Gras and uh, then she wasn't so happy herself later in the day. And the thought did you, occur you, she might have had a sherry or two. Do you mean she was like 90% of the other people there? Yeah, well, that's Mardi right. But, yeah, but, yeah. But, but all those people stayed behind <coughs> the barricades. That's the difference. And, my, and maybe my, my, this is the only way she can get her 
protest across. But it, 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 I would have to say on the on the on the balance of uh, uh, Twitter responses to the tweet that she popped up there, she claimed that uh, Mardi Gras <coughs> was essentially founded by black women and black trans women, and uh, there is simply no evidence to support that. Um, um, but uh, on the basis of that tweet, she copped a shellacking. Um, yeah. in response. Quite a lot of the founders of, of Mardi Gras didn't make it through the AIDS problems in the 80s and 90s, but there were enough of them around who can still disprove that. Yeah, enough of the what we call the 78ers. Uh, mm. and, and I think there were 53, 53 or 55 uh, who were arrested and taken back to Darlinghurst Police Station and given a nice old touch up there. And then the Sydney Morning Herald, Jack, published their names and addresses and occupations in a report the following Monday. The, um, the, there is a great untold story, I think, of, um, of uh, the gay community, the gay male community in Sydney from that time through the AIDS uh, epidemic. Um, it's just, it, it doesn't appear in print anywhere, but if you speak to the people who are part of it, it's an extraordinary um, <coughs> episode in Australian life. It's a story that should be told. It's a good story. It's a very good story, a very powerful story. I mean, and, and the police really didn't hold back in, in that 78, uh, that very first march. Uh, the, the New South Wales Parliament have apologised to the 78ers and, and particularly those 50-odd people arrested. Uh, and uh, and the Sydney Morning Herald, I think, in 2015, uh, offered an apology to those people for essentially doxing them. M- many people lost their jobs. Uh, many people were rendered homeless. A number, you know, num- number of people were kicked out of their rental properties and what have you. It's uh, it, it's not a glorious history, but it is a, it is a history that should be properly understood. Mm. Uh, Lydia, as for Lydia, um, we can expect more stunts, Jack. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I think that's the way it's going to go. Meanwhile, well, Jack, po- politici- politicians are politicians. They never stop trying to get re-elected, so that's what she's doing. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have a problem with it, although her, her take on the founding of, uh, of Mardi Gras was, was you know, just way, way away from the truth. Um, and uh, But, look, I don't really have a problem with her doing no. these sorts of stunts Nor as I. long as they're not as long as they're not endangering people. Um, Superannuation speculation, Jack, if you look at our papers, uh, you will see a great deal of op-ed thumping uh, about superannuation. Uh, Money will be stolen from our our accounts, all this sort of stuff, and we don't even really know what the legislation's going to do. There's no There's no draft legislation. It's really a discussion point, I guess, with the budget coming in May as to what changes might be made to the tax benefits um, uh, that people in very high, uh, with very uh, high de- um, superannuation deposits might have. Um, there are 11,000 people in Australia with superannuation um, uh, deposits or, or, or accounts or balances, I should say, uh, of $3 million Plus, that's a nice retirement, Jack. Uh, I think it's that. Think that the, the, the eleven thousand is a higher figure than that. I think it's about thirty-six thousand with three million plus. Thirty-six thousand. Oh, well, with, I beg with to three million to, plus. Well, I don't beg yeah, to the, the eleven thousand is five million or ten million or something. You know. So. I think there's someone there, uh, just one individual with uh, nearly a billion, uh, nearly half a billion, I should say. Um, so. 
what are we getting? What are we getting so upset about, Jack? Well, I think we should wait until we find out what they're really planning to do. Would be sensible, wouldn't it? Um, um, uh, I, I read Robert Gottlieb's daily column on this today, uh, this morning. Um, uh, but full of I, I think they're, I think they're all, like a lot of things. You've got to keep adjusting these things um, to uh, counter people's use of existing schemes to to play funny buggers. Yeah, exactly, and 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 I guess when you when it comes to reform, you're going to basically, unless you get the legislation absolutely right, you're going to create other opportunities for yes. a tax minimisation, yes. aren't you? Yeah, this has got to be done carefully and in a, and in a considered way. But uh, look, I, th- I think there is a uh, you know the, most Australians uh, retire you know men with a superannuation policy of about hundred uh, about one hundred and fifty k and women about a hundred. Uh, because they miss some years um, having children, etc., um, and yet there are, as I say, eleven thousand people with very large super funds and thirty-six thousand ones with, with very big ones as well. So. And not paying a cracker in tax on those big. Um... Well, the, well, the, the cost of the tax concessions for super, um, Jim Chalmers is saying, is fifty billion a year. Yeah. And that, and it becomes unsustainable. And, and and this was actually addressed by Josh Frydenberg when he was treasurer. Hmm. Um, that it, it becomes unsustainable as we go into the go into the future. It becomes unsustainable. But I just didn't have enjoyed the hysterics um, uh, in the op-ed pages. The Daily Telegraph went with the "coming for your money" sort of headlines and all this sort of stuff. Uh, completely baseless because they got nothing to, to hang it on. Hmm. Yeah, all right. They may in the future, but they don't right now. Not a thing. Not mm. a thing. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> but this is this is the price of reform in this country, and and when it becomes absolutely necessary, as it would appear to be in this case, you know, unsustainable level of of, of funding, a Commonwealth funding or Commonwealth money going to people who are super rich. Um, uh, this is you know this is the sort of thing you can expect. This is why reform is almost impossible in this country. Yeah, uh, I actually think this is a, a winnable argument um, uh, for the government to say, look, the people with $10 million plus in super or the people with $5 million plus in their super funds can't get all of the benefits, all the tax concessions that um, people with $150,000 do. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I think that's a, a politically winnable argument because there are very few of them, you know. It's just got to be pitched right. You, yeah, you need to, and you need to have the courage to communicate effectively. Yeah. Whether Chalmers and, and Albanese have got those skills, uh, you know, I, w- I would sort of say Albo's Albo's pretty good, but he he, he does suffer from timidity at, at times. And Chalmers seems to be a, a decent debater, but they need to get very solid lines of communication out there. <clears throat> you know, when when they release their decisions, so when they release their decisions, that will be around budget time, by the way. Yeah, so you, you look at people who've done this well in the past. Um, uh, Hawke and Keating did it well. John Howard did it well. Um, mm-hmm. They went out and said, this is what we're going to do and this is why, um, and they were successful. Okay. Well, John Howard did pipe up, Jack. His eyebrows are getting extremely bushy these days. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, did pipe up. There, uh, Jack, with the uh, <coughs> Middle Australia won't cop this, and you think <laughs> Middle Australia, mm. um, not not at all. Um, uh, the voice, Jack, and we'll continue along with this as we go every week. Frank Brennan, 
uh, has uh, released his proposed draft wording for the referendum in a in a new book on the voice. Jack, you want to give it to us? Yeah, um, Father Brennan says uh, that his his proposed wording is. There shall be an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice with such structure and functions as the Parliament deems necessary to facilitate consultation prior to the making of special laws with respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and with such other functions as the Parliament determines. Now, the difference between his proposal and the current one from the Prime Minister uh, is that it doesn't allow, it doesn't provide for the voice to make uh, have a constitutional right to make representation to the executive of of the government, that is, to the cabinet and to public servants. It's a bit of a mouthful, though, Jack. And, and secondly, it? secondly, it restricts the the constitutional right to make recommendations to the parliament. Yeah. To, no, to the special laws with regard to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, not to the the whole of the law. But as a referendum question, if this was put to to um, uh, to the people, I, I mean, I just think it's just too long. <laughs> you know, it's about to, the same. It's about the same length as the prime minister's. Oh, I think it's a bit short, a bit bit longer. But anyway, uh, uh, Brennan has argued his words limited the obligation for the voice to be consulted for laws made under the constitution's race power, while allowing the parliament to extend the scope beyond this through legislation. Um, uh, but uh, Noel uh, uh, Pearson, one of the architects of of uh, the uh, Uluru Statement from the Heart, uh, has uh, uh, is not happy with that form of words and said, and with due respect to Frank, who does have my respect on legal matters, I look at the article in the Australian Financial Review by the former Chief Justice Robert French, which was, in my view, a, a really clear outline of why these issues are very, very tight in the draft wording that is there. Oh, so that that's actually Albanese. Yeah, said that. Sorry, yeah. I do apologise. But not, where does Noel fall on, on Brennan's words? Um, it, 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 he says that, look, we took we took this and, ha- and had a chat to the conservative parts of the, of, the, of the working groups and they agreed with what we're trying to do. I don't think that's altogether clear, but there's a whole lot of arguments about who said what to whom and when. Um, you know, Frank Brennan says that the proposal that the Prime Minister put forward was the 18th uh, version that was put forward and... and, 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 and didn't go through the right process. So, but all that doesn't really matter. What's really needed now, I think, is that uh, they've got to get everybody on every, everybody in those working groups on board with what the, what they want to do, and if they're not doing that at the moment. Okay, so we're still working. Uh, we're still working on uh, the form of words, uh, uh, and, and exactly where it fits in the constitution. Um, uh, Brennan was talking about. Uh, Bob Ellicott, you remember he, he was a federal liberal attorney, attorney general in the Fraser years, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he was, um, uh, and and he he was responsible for three of the only eight successful referendums uh, in Australian history, uh, and Bob Ellicott had a view that for a referendum proposal to have a substantial chance of accept, acceptance, it should contain no element of possible substantial confusion on legal or other grounds. I think that's very good advice. Mm, indeed. So Noel, Noel has weighed in and uh, and and uh, we should be listening to Noel all the time. His point basically is that the wording has been submitted 
and uh, and accepted going all the way back to 2014 by constitutional conservatives, Jack. Mm. Meanwhile, Gary Johns, who is the Secretary of Recognise a Better Way, the Voice No Case Committee Incorporated, he wrote an inquiry in The Australian that what is known about the proposed voice so far amounts to a shadow government. That's not true, Jack. Um, I don't think it, 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 it's necessarily true. It could end up that way um, uh, if it's badly handled. Gary Johnson has to be remembered. I don't uh, know. A Labor, he, a Labor minister. Well, yes, he was, but he also wrote a column um, for The Australian where he proposed some very radical uh, measures that might be, and I'm being very cautious about my words. I know Gary, I've spoken to him a number of times, being very cautious about my words, but uh, he, he suggested uh, that um, Indigenous affairs uh, in this country were broken and what needed to essentially occur was, um, well, I, I'm being very, very careful about this, uh, a form of eugenics, Jack. Well, I don't recall reading that. Um, he's certainly um, uh, uh, been on a bit of a journey since his days as a Labor minister, I'll put it that way. He has, he has traversed. He has traversed the, uh, the, uh, the, linear, the linear ideological spectrum to some, uh, some degree, of course. I, I uh, had a little bit to do with him when he was running the charities and not-for-profit not group yeah. in Canberra. Uh, in another essay and inquiry, constitutional experts Megan Davis and Gabrielle Appleby responded to claims the draft of the constitutional amendment will give rise to litigation in the courts. Uh, they described the concerns as disingenuous and overblown. So we've just got so many voices saying so many different things, Jack. Yes, yeah. And what, what, what Brennan says is that what the government's got to do is to be more open and transparent about what's happening and why. Uh, and I think that's correct. Uh, and he says they've got to release, they've got to get get and release advice from the Solicitor General um, and, and preferably run yes. this through a parliamentary committee so everybody can have their say and we can work out what, what's, the, what's a doable way forward. And, and I think Murray Gleeson has also weighed in, Jack. Yeah, um, uh, and Gleeson gets, gets the nub of it in a sense. Uh, he says, how does it offend some principle of equality now to provide that in recognition of the unique position of Indigenous people in the nation's history, Parliament shall establish a representative body which has a particular function of a giving advice about such laws? Um, and, and, you know, you could, this is sort of how many angels on, angels on the head of a pin sort of theological argument as to what the exact wording should be. But the, the real question is, does it advise the um, uh, the executive? Does it just advise Parliament? Um, and uh, which parts of it are constitutionally entrenched, and which parts of it are subject to, le to le legislation, and therefore can be changed? Well, as uh, Mazza said, mate, and he's Mazza to me because uh, we, <laughs> we actually wrote about him. He's a good bloke, actually, really good bloke, really down to earth sort of bloke. He's, he's, he's Eric Barnes, Eric Barnes' father-in-law. Is he? Is he? Yeah. I did not know that. It, he said, it is difficult to see 
this is the former Chief Justice of the High Court, it is difficult to see any objection in principle to the creation of a body to advise Parliament about proposed laws relating to Indigenous affairs and specifically about special laws enacted under the race power, which in its practical operation is now a power to make laws about Indigenous people. And, and Noel has replied to that. Noel Pearson has said, Mr Gleeson's speech is the last word on the legal integrity of the voice and its seamless compatibility with the constitutional history of the Australian Commonwealth. And we might yeah. just wrap it up there, except to say that's not that's not exactly the way it's going at the moment. There are a number of voices on the voice that uh, are not on the same page. Yeah, at the moment, um, uh, if I was having a bet, I'd be looking, uh, I'd be saying it's about a 40% chance of success. Uh, needs more work. All right. New South Wales State Election, Jack, we did uh, tell our listeners last week that we'd have a bit of a look at it, and we've got a, a news poll. About a month to go. Yeah, it's, it's really quiet. I actually, while I was streaming some stuff from uh, Foxtel, uh, it's the first time I saw a Labor Party ad, uh, and, and first time I saw an ad full stop. Um, so um, it's been really quiet. Um, now, a news poll is showing the Coalition making a little bit of a comeback um, with uh, a 30, on, on the week, on the last weekend, February 20. The 23, so uh, an extended weekend when the polls uh, were taken. Coalition primary vote at 37, Labor 36, Greens 12, others 15. That uh, on uh, two-party preferred uh, from uh, on a calculation made of recent federal and state election puts Labor in front 52-48. Which is pretty much the margin for error, isn't it? Yes, right, yeah, it'll be about 3%, so it could, get, it could go the other way. But um, Perrottet's performance has, has just been lifted a little bit. Uh, men's, uh, uh, men's satisfaction uh, rating has just gone down a point. Uh, and uh, and uh, as better Premier Dominic Perrottet sort of rules that by about 10 points against Men's. Um, but when we get to the uh, uh, question of whether the coalition deserves to be re-elected or not. Uh, we've got uh, 36 saying yes, they do, and uh, we've got 48 saying it's time to give someone else a go with 16% uncommitted. Um, that That's where I kind of – that's where it looks to be to me. You know, I don't think the Liberal government's been a terrible government, but I think people think they've been around too long, um, and it's time to shake the place up a little bit with a bit of change. Yeah, look, there been look, there have been some some bad missteps in transport. You know, they they uh, they bought trains that won't fit in the tunnel. Um, they um, uh, they they've made some fairly serious um, uh, some some fairly serious and embarrassing editors as public administrators. But um, overall, you'd probably give them a pass mark. But they've been in. It might be a fair pass, time. but a pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And look, I, I, I actually, I, I've looked at the pendulum, and Labor needs nine to win majority yeah. government. Uh, needs needs to win nine seats in the lower house, and I find that very hard to to get to a point. But I was talking to a former Labor staffer, a mate of mine. Um, uh, on the weekend, and he said he was at a he was at a dinner for a dinner with Morris Yammer, and Yammer is it must be said a very skilled, um, a very skilled, um, a, a very skilled in the in the nuance of New South Wales electorate, and he ran through the nine pretty quickly. 
that they yeah. thought they could win. So we'll see. I, yeah, I, no, I, 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 I continue I, to look at the pendulum and say, where are you going to get the nine from? But um, it, it may well be that we have minority government. Um, you know, there could be a Labor minority government. That, that's on the cards. So having said that, statistically, it's less likely than a majority government either way. Yeah, I, I'm getting the same sort of feedback that um, Labor's reasonably confident. <clears throat> but I must say that Minns hasn't cut through as much as I thought he would. He's very presentable. It's um, so quiet. There's, um, there's really just not a lot going on. Now, hmm. I, I'm not – I'm actually in a, 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 a bit of a swinging seat, Jack, um, uh, and uh, not a lot going on, not a lot going through the letterbox, uh, not a lot going on in terms of advertising. I don't watch, to be fair, a lot of free-to-air television, uh, but I did notice a Labor Party ad popped up on uh, Foxtel Streaming, which is an indication that they, you know, they don't want to pay the full freight just yet. Um, we're less than a month away, and of course the polls will open. Uh, I think fourteen days before before the ele- before the election date itself, or thirteen days before the election date itself. So it's just it's kind of creeping up on us. Mm. Yeah, I, I was expecting Mins to be better known and to have cut through much more by now. I must yeah, he, look, I would have thought so. He looked very, very good in the latter latter half of last year, um, but just hasn't really made much of an imprint since. Yeah, yeah we'll see. I, thought he, I thought he was a racing certainty about then, but um, he's got to the front and started to get the wonders. Because he, he, he is in the most marginal seat of all. Mm. Uh, Cogra is... Uh, Held by by about twelve hundred votes. Now I'd expect him to win that pretty comfortably, but it's uh, the, the the coalition and independents have been coming along and uh, one by one have sort of stood away. So he should win that comfortably. But he, you know, it's it's rare that you see a a uh, a leader, a major party leader, in such an uncomfortable spot. Now, Jack, we've got to talk. Talk a little bit about your man love for Waleed Ali. You, <laughs> you, uh, you, you seem to become a very big fan uh, of well, Waleed. I say I was a fan of, of Waleed's. Um, uh, I, I, I find the project just about unwatchable. Um, it's uh, terrible, he's on it? that. It's, it, <coughs> and it it's used to be little, bad and it's just got worse. Yeah, he's just a little bit too smug for my taste. But, um, well, he's uh, the smartest one there by a country mile, but that's not saying much. No. He's no, the smartest it's, one it, on the panel by, by a long way. It's, it's not a group one field, is it? <laughs> no, no, no. Well, he's really just, just uh, having a run uh, before something more serious comes along. But, look, he, he, he does... He does cut through with some of his writing, and I think this would have come from the uh, from the nine media, wouldn't it? Yeah, it came from the from the age this bit, um, and 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 this came up. This struck me because I was talking to um, uh, a pal who's got um, you know uh, children in their late teens and early twenties, and and he was describing something similar. He says young people. Um, particularly with young people, liberal notions like free speech and tolerance are being asked to give way to acceptance and representation. In this approach, the trouble with freedom is that it provides the freedom to say, be a bigot. Um, This new progressivism wants to assert a moral orthodoxy, but the only morality you can imagine is one about politics and power. That's why, even as it opposes liberalism, it cannot escape its terms, categorising all manner of things as harmful or unsafe. My pal was telling me that even around the dinner table, 
there is just so little tolerance that if someone has an opinion that they disagree with, people are getting up and leaving the table and storming out all the time. But is that different? I mean, is that really different? I don't, I don't know that it is. I, I'm very sceptical about any of this sort of generation gap sort of stuff, Jack, going back, going back, going back uh, to, to the time when I was uh, a very intolerant, <laughs> very intolerant human being at, in my early 20s, and if I didn't like what I heard, I'd let you know. Um, yeah, that must, I don't must think be, that much must have been entertaining with your father because he was pretty, <laughs> pretty <laughs> firm in his views as well. Spray. I mean, there is that there is that sort of uh, ardent uh, that ardent nature of youth uh, and that that will that will that will pose no uh, will pose no criticism. I mean, I, I think it's always been us, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah, I think I think I think that's true, um, but there's a wider lack of tolerance. And, and I, I saw um, a on the Twitter this morning that the half of the NRL um, uh, CEOs don't want to don't want to have anything to do with Pride Round this year. Um, because of what happened with Manly last year. Mm. Um, and um, that's sort of a symptom of the same thing. I think we need sort of proper tolerance, and that means tolerance of opinions that you don't agree with. Yeah, I know, but it's 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 a hard sell, Jack. I mean, and, and you've got – I mean, I, I think what we have seen through social media – I mean, social media, through the internet, social media, this ability to connect with one another, uh, which is a wonderful thing. It's also, there. there is a downside to it, and that is this expression of opinions in uh, in uh, echo chambers um, that, you know, with, with, with groups dealing with yeah. their own Facebook page and Instagram page and all this sort of stuff, that it, that it really does create an echo chamber. This is what I believe, and these people who, who are listening to me and talking and and you know, conversing with me online, they think the same things too. So that does create that sort of echo chamber feel where you actually come to the belief that you, and it's just the same thing with a sort of cookerverse, you actually come to that belief that you represent the majority, that your view represents a majority. Hmm. Um, I bit for Tony that, Burke. That's, that's precisely what I'm talking about. Um, uh, you know, it, it, with the, the pride thing in the NRL, nearly half of the NRL contracted players uh, of Pacifica origins. Yeah. And, and nearly all of those will be conservative Christians. Yeah, yeah. And they will have a different view about a pride round to the other half. Yeah. No, I understand and, that. And, and, you, and you, what you've got to do is have proper tolerance where we all tolerate our different points of view. You can't have either group imposing their point of view on, 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 the, on the majority. Mm. All right. Um, uh, yes, uh, yes, we have to uh, have to stand hand on heart and pretend that we enjoy Old Testament literalism. Um, okay, um, this is a wonderful obit for uh, Tony Burke, age racing rider, uh, and the old Siebel townhouse. I yeah, just this is, remember this is by, from Bruce Clark, who's uh, who's on the on the telly and does the racing. On yeah, the I know telly. Bruce. Yeah, yeah. and um, uh, you, you, you recall the Siebel townhouse. I do, and I've got some stories, but keep going. Um, uh, and he's, he's talking about when Tony Burke used to go up to Sydney to cover the, the Sydney Racing Carnival. He would stay at the Seagull Townhouse. And for those of you who don't know, it was a wonderful, smallish hotel in Elizabeth Bay. Um, it was probably Sydney's most glamorous hotel for a long time. Yeah. 
Um, but it wasn't it wasn't a huge hotel, but it was very no. it was very great. Um, as, as Bruce Clark says, we're the rich and famous mixed um, uh, with the Siebel. Um, uh, had a little bar upstairs there. Um, uh, John the barman used to uh, tot up the. Um, the, the bar bills on a fool's cap page for all nights, um, and uh, and uh, jo- and Tony Burke was happy um, uh, trotting up all these expenses to the age. Yes, good old days. Yeah, good old days. Rivers of gold. Yeah. <laughs> Rivers of gold. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Tony, uh, Bruce Clark's writing about a particular story that Tony used to tell. Uh, Tony Burke used to tell about staying there, and at the sea, all the famous people stayed there. All the music stars did, from Elton John through to Phyllis Diller, um, uh, and um, I think. From, from my recollection is that Elton John got married from the Siebel townhouse. Uh, well, he got uh, married in the uh, the yeah, Anglican the uh, church. in Darling, Darling Point. In Darling and then, Point, And then yeah. back, back to the Siebel townhouse bar for afters. Ah, uh, there you go. And there was, and there was a, um, one occasion Tony, Borks, Tony Burke's talking about where a chap who Bruce Clarks describes as a well-known musical identity um, mm-hmm. He doesn't call him a singer or a guitarist, so we have to work out who that is. Uh, and and he retired early. He's a bit tired, emotional, and gone up to his room and said, under no circumstances was he be, to be disturbed. Uh, and then the staff rang the room uh, uh, to not surprisingly get an earful, but returned with, but there's a naked man saying he was invited to see you. Um and the punchline was the music man said, send him up immediately. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, our regards to Molly Melbourne. Ah, <laughs> uh, there you go. Uh, yes, um, there, there you go. Look, I know the Siebel uh, by reputation rather than visits. I do record being there, um, but I don't think I've ever walked uh, across the threshold. But, but uh, it was... Uh, also a bit of a meeting place of, um, of a few, um, shall we say, duckers and dodgers around the cross area. Uh, yeah, Abe Saffron used, pl- used to used uh, to used to enjoy uh, the drinks there, although he complained about the prices. Um, and uh, it was a bit of a knockabouts, you know. Plenty of gangsters used to go through the doors there as well. Well, there were a few places around the cross that were like that. Nice. No, was it the Aqua Club or whatever it was around the corner from the Siebel? What's the one I'm thinking of? I, I, yeah, I used to go to another one um, uh, around the corner, sort of nightclub sort of thing. <laughs> and, um, I'd spend a bit of money there and get well looked after, and there was plenty going on there. Um, it was a very lively place when I first moved up to, moved up to Sydney. Yes, indeed. All right. So, uh, yeah, valet to uh, to the great racing writer Tony Burke, uh, who, <laughs> in the good old days of newspaper reporting, uh, enjoyed himself heartily at the Siebel Townhouse. Um, Russia and Ukraine, Jack. Um, uh, we'll go through the, the peace process. You have we reached a quagmire there yet? I'm not entirely sure about that. Um, um, because uh, I believe that the delivery of Abraham's tanks will, will will change the nature of the battlefield, but that won't be probably until the middle of this year. They won't no. arrive. They can't just arrive and you just jump behind the wheel and off you go. You, you need a bit of training, so that's going to take a few months as well, yes, so supply well. and then training. 
Yeah, it's not like going down to Hertz and picking up a rental. <laughs> you can't just pop the keys in the, in the ignition and off you go. And a little bit of kit inside that you need to get yourself across, yeah. Mm. But they are much faster, longer range, uh, longer range weaponry and um, and uh, uh, likely to have a significant impact on, uh, on what might well be a quagmire at the moment in East Ukraine. Yeah, as... as, as ha- as it happens, it's, it's just on a year since the start of the war and people tend to take the opportunity under those circumstances to say, well, where's it going? What's going to be the end result? And everyone's jumped in this week and done that, um, uh, uh, including a journalist in the Kiev Post um, uh, who, uh, and apologise for saying Kiev, I'm, I'll probably be... Um, Kiev, please. Kiev, yes. Kiev, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm just wondering when the waiters are going to say, how would you like your chicken Kiev? Kiev, you know, uh, yeah. it should yeah, be it's like, it, it's like Turkey, nothing's Turkey anymore, it's Turkey. You know? Turkey, yeah, well, that's that's right. I had, did look into this and uh, one of my uh, one of my friends and, and a man known to you, Pat Shear, was most upset with the uh, the establishment of Turkey. Um but that, and this was an insistence from Erdogan. Um, the trading company or the exporting export groups had, had had sort of hammered away at the government, Erdogan's government, to say, "Can we stop calling the country Turkey, please?" Not least of all because it is a synonym for an idiot, a Turkey, particularly an American um, vernacular. Um, <clears throat> and so they, uh, so it was Erdogan who just handed down this decree that it become, become I think, Turkey a federation. Uh, yes. is, the, is the full term, and the US State Department accepted it, I think, late last year, in December of last year, and that's why when we see coverage of, uh, of the, the earthquakes, uh, in particular in, in Turkey, we see this. The ABC went with it first, Turkey. Uh, SBS, I noted, had stayed with Turkey, and now they've moved over to Kia as well. Um, well so it's always the... Both Kiev and Turkey are always enunciated very clearly. One suspects there have been workshops uh, at the SBS and the ABC on how to pronounce this correctly. Well, Pat sent a, a, a nasty letter off to the ABC Communications Department and they replied that this was the proper form. They're actually right, by the way, because, you know, a country can call itself whatever it wants to be. So, Thailand used to be Siam, Jack, but we don't call it Siam anymore. Um, and, and the Indians, of course, have renamed much many of their cities: Mumbai, yeah. was Bombay, etc., you know, um, etc. Et so, yeah, these things happen. Anyway, the the, the chap from the Kiev Post, he thinks there's four possible outcomes: uh, Ukraine will win and yeah. restore its territorial territorial integrity within the uh, the borders of 1991. Um, yeah. Well, that includes two. So that obviously the, includes Crimea. Yep. Yeah. None of the parties um, uh, can win and the front will stabilise in pretty much where it is now. Uh, option three, Russia is defeated in the war and ceases to exist as a sovereign country. Ooh. And option four, Ukraine is defeated, defeated in the war and ceases to exist as a sovereign country. Um, I think both of the, 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 the latter two options are fairly unlikely as I see it. I think yeah. the most likely one for me is that uh, the Ukrainians will be will push back the Russians beyond the um, beyond the February twenty twenty two border. I think that's quite likely, and and then then peace discussions can occur. But of course, this week, Jack, the Chinese have weighed in with uh, 
How many points in that plan? A 12-point plan. 12-point plan. And they're all pretty vague, aren't they? All those 12 points, they're all pretty vague, aren't they? Yeah. Do you reckon McKenzie wrote that one? (laughs) It looks a bit like it, doesn't it? It does a bit. It's kind of an all-thing-to-all-people sort of uh, option. It it really doesn't mention anything. It does talk about uh, the, um, uh, the possibility of... But it talks about sovereignty without making any real claims about it. It does talk about uh, freedom of of Russia, um, but doesn't make any claims about that either. I mean, is it a starting point? Look, I I suppose it is. Um, uh, Meanwhile, in in Europe, they've been uh, uh, pushing and shoving the same thing around. Um, uh, I think it's fair to say that no one in, in Europe believes that the Ukrainians can take back Crimea. Uh, and they have grave doubts that they can, how far they can push the Russians back from where they from the present um, line right. of dispute. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, at, at the base of this, you have an invading country. Russia invaded Ukraine, mm-hmm. and and at, and at what point do you have to say, well, we're going to give you some of the land you stole? Uh, you pounded our cities. You've killed an estimated hundred thousand people civilians, killed an estimated 100,000 civilians, and you're going to be rewarded with some land for your trouble. i got a real mm. problem with that. <laughs> yeah, well, that likewise, but then you've got to be practical and say, well, uh, they won't give it up without a fight, and can the Ukrainians win it back? Yeah, I think we need to. I honestly don't think they should be talking at all until, uh, until uh, the European summer. Anyway, uh, the Wall Street Journal has, has talked about, has reported that what we might call the, the Western, the Western uh, nations or the Western European uh, forces in NATO are basically dragging Ukraine in uh, as a way to encourage Kiev to, uh, to start peace talks with Russia. Yes. Um, uh, I think last, was it last Friday um, Zelensky said that... Um, uh, the atrocities committed by Russia over the past year make such talks impossible. It does make it very difficult, Jack. You know, mm. 100,000 well, citizens going peacefully about their business, uh, having uh, having uh, you know, either, either subject to air raids or artillery barrages or rockets or missiles pounding into their, pounding into their cities and killing them. I mean, I, I, I don't think this, you know, Principally, or on principle, I don't think there's anything to be said here other than, I mean, I just go and ask the Poles. The Poles is going, let's go to Moscow. Let's go. Let's get it on. Um, Zelensky reminded people that uh, before the invasion, he had repeatedly urged world leaders to press uh, Putin for a meeting, and the Russian leader refused. Now it's now it is us who cannot do it. Zelensky said there is nothing to talk about and nobody to talk about over there. There you go. Well, that does sound like a stalemate. Uh, if we have a quagmire in the eastern Ukraine, that's certainly a, a diplomatic stalemate, isn't it? Um, all right. So the twelve-point plan from China—it's a framework, isn't it? I guess that's what we could say about it. It's a framework on which there might be some discussion at some point in the future. Yep. All right. Uh, United States, Jack, over to the States, um, one year out from the 2024 primaries. Uh, 
There's a Fox National survey on the presidential nomination races. Spoiler alert, former President Donald Trump looks formidable while President Biden faces doubt. Hmm. Republican primary voters were read a list of 15 announced and potential candidates for the 2024 nomination. Trump Trump tops the list with 43%. DeSantis, 28. Nikki Haley and Mike Pence at 7% each. They won't make it through uh, 2023 in the primary. And Greg Abbott and Liz Cheney at 2% each. I don't think Liz has uh, announced her candidacy, nor has uh, Greg Abbott. Although neither has Pence, for that matter. Um no one's wrong to Sanders either, but, um, but, but we know. Well, no, that's absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. No, she hasn't but, we, but we know he's running. He's, ho- he's holding fundraisers and all that sort of stuff. So, Yeah, look, are we, are we, just, looking, are we just looking at sort of um, um, recognition, voter recognition here? An expression yeah, could of be. I'm a bit sceptical about some of this polling. <clears throat> you know, the more, we, the more we read about Trump, uh, the, the, the less likely it would seem that the, the Republican party and and its sort of grassroots really want to really want a bar of him. Um, 37% on the other side of things, 37% of Democratic primary voters want to keep Biden as their party's nominee. A majority of 53% says they would like someone else to run. Someone else, that means anyone else. Um, I think if you think if you put a couple of names there, the the, the number fifty three would drop pretty dramatically. <laughs> that's right. It's always that's that's just the way with, of polling, isn't it? You 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 basically once you put some some hard names in there, that would drop away. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, if Biden decides to go, I saw him in. Of course, he visited uh, Kiev, Jack, uh, last week, um, and he's looking very. In his movements, uh, I don't know if you saw him uh, uh, wandering around the streets of Kiev with uh, with uh, President Zelensky. He's looking very stiff, and yeah, I don't know physically. I don't know. I just physically, and I guess there are questions about his mental uh, competence as well. Um, but he if does he, just, he, he does walk like a um, uh, a wind up toy these robotic. days, isn't he? Yeah, it's robotic. Um, yeah. it, it, you know, he's not a young man, but but um, uh, if he decided to run, he would basically. I, I doubt that he would be challenged in the primary, would he? Yeah, I, I, I suspect he might be challenged, but he might might well win. But um, uh, I don't. Th- I don't think he or, he or Trump will be there myself. Uh, we did see, of course, that a number of uh, Fox News's. Uh, personalities uh, in, in matters released in regard to the um, uh, Dominion Voting Machines action, Jack, $1.6 billion. So they're, they're, uh, they're claiming from Fox News and others, um, uh, $1.6 for Rudy Giuliani, uh, One American News, I think there's another news, uh, news network in there, um, uh, who else, Giuliani, uh, um, uh, L- oh, well, the, uh, My Pillow guy, Mike Lindell, uh, they're all subject to these massive actions, and, and the News Corp one is underway. And we sort of release of of uh, texts and emails and so forth from Tucker Carlson and others, Lauren Lauren Ingraham, um, uh, Sean Hannity, etc. Saying we don't believe this, we don't believe this. Uh, what Trump is asserting at all, um, and uh, and we think Giuliani's a clown. Um, but then they go on their talk shows and have a go, Jack. Hmm. Pretty strange. 
Do you it think is. it'll cost them? The the News Corp defence is one of a you know basically a, a freedom of speech um, uh, argument that they were more than entitled to to discuss these things. Yeah, but, I think that will succeed. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, it, it would be. I so would certainly, think, the freedom of speech rules in, in America are stronger than they are in Australia, they and, are you're, and you're allowed to be wrong. Yeah, you're allowed to be wrong, but are you allowed to be knowingly wrong? Um, you know that you knew this was that this was a problem. Now, I, I, I really don't want to say, but I would, but I would conclude that people like Lindell and Giuliani have got bigger problems yeah. in regard to this particular suit. <laughs> yeah, they may, they may do it, but I, I think news. I don't think News Corp's got too much to worry about. Well, I hope not. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, January six video footage was released to Tucker. Um, a group of news organisations on Friday asked House Speaker Kevin McCarthy to share thousands of hours of security footage from January 6th after Fox News host Tucker Carlson said this week that he has been given access to about 44,000 hours of video from the attack on the Capitol. And he went for, and he went for six hours, Jack. Uh, they must have a lot of cameras there, <laughs> is the answer <laughs> to that. must have a lot of cameras About 7,000 of them by the looks of things. This has caused the, this has caused quite quite the kerfuffle in the US and yeah, um, and, 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 and my view is um, yes, let them all have a look at it. Yeah, um, in fact, it's it's hard to understand why um, this has not happened um, already. Yes, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it hasn't happened already because Nancy Pelosi was the speaker who wouldn't release it. But um, uh, it, it should – don't just give it to one news organisation. Make it available to everybody. Indeed. And I couldn't agree more on that one. I don't think there's too much to be uh, – there's too much to be discussed there. The Georgia Grand Jury, too, it would seem that – again, I don't want to add to Rudy Giuliani's ways, but I would see him probably being the number one – most likely to be indicted, um, and Trump may be there as well. And, and this has become a little bit complicated by the fact that uh, the former foreman of the grand jury has come Four person, forward, I think. Four person, I should <laughs> say, absolutely, because it's actually a woman, uh, who's come forward and, and just uh, just uh, have, enjoying her 15 minutes worth of fame, which will cause all sorts of problems with any any future indictment. Yeah, one would, one would think so. She's a quite odd person, I think a fair assessment would be. Yeah, but she's enjoying a little <laughs> moment. She was locked up, locked up as a juror for about six months, so she's enjoying a bit of a uh, bit of uh, a bit of bit of uh, clear air and uh, and and, uh, and the sun shining. Yeah, so um, we will see, but certainly. Uh, uh, the prospects of uh, of anyone being prosecuted diminished with her uh, with her, with her <laughs> public performances in the last week or two. Yeah, in Nigeria, I had a quick look to see what updates there were in the Nigerian election, most populous nation in Africa, Jack. Um, but um, uh, when we look at uh, uh, when we look at GDP per capita, it is well and truly down the list. You know what's number yeah, one, Jack? Do you know what's number one in terms of uh, GDP per capita in, in Africa? Oh, no, I don't. Botswana. 
Botswana. Yeah. Mm, it's a small population and uh, they made some pretty good decisions uh, along yeah. the way economically. But Nigeria um, is the, the biggest country in Africa. And, it is. Um, and uh, you know, 220 million people. Mm. Um, and the last I saw this morning was that they're holding an election. Um, and the last I heard this morning was that the opposition parties had worked, walked out of the um, tally room what we would call a telly room, mm-hmm. in protest over the use of an electronic voter system that's supposed to transmit the votes from the remote communities into the telly room, and um, they are distrusting that. Yes, so- this is the first time the Nigerians, and the first time in Africa uh, that a, um electronic uh, voting system has been used. Um so we're seeing this, you know, you said 220 million people in Nigeria, only 87 million eligible voters, Jack. Yeah, it's a bit odd, isn't it? It doesn't seem quite right. Um, but this is probably the um, uh, the biggest election in the country's history in terms of how it will shape its future. Um, uh, Peter Obi uh, from uh, the previous little-known Labor Party battling that with Mr Tinubu from the ruling All Progressives Congress and Atiku Abubakar of the main opposition People's Democratic Party are all seen as potential winners. There are 15 other presidential candidates um, and a candidate needs to have the most votes and 25% of ballots cast in two-thirds of Nigeria's 36 states to be declared the winner, Jack. Gee whiz, I thought the American system was complicated, but that is very complicated, complex. Um, and, and now the major opposition parties have basically stormed out of the of the tally room, as you say, and um, and that doesn't, uh, that doesn't augur well for any sort of... Uh, uh, a peaceful settlement to the camp. No, it doesn't. Um, there's a possibility of a runoff in in, in 21 days if um, no one gets that majority. That looks to be the case. And mm. uh, gee whiz, I mean, electronic voting systems, Jack. What do we say about them? Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to fall foul of Dominion voting systems yeah, here. Exactly. But you cannot beat. You cannot beat the paper and pencil for mine. Yeah, the, the, the stub of HB pencil and a, and a bit of paper. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and there's always a record. There's always that piece of paper. All right, in Iran, Jack, um, um, uh, women, particularly in Tehran, are saying no thank you to uh, to covering up, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of flack. No, it looks like they've, they've won the battle um, over the hijab, over the compulsory wearing of the hijab. Mm, mm. Uh, I have not worn a scarf for months. I don't even carry it with me anymore. Whether the government likes to admit it or not, the era of the forced hijab is over. And that was from Akimi, a graduate student in the Kurdish city of Sanandes, um, uh, quoted, uh, quoted in the New York Times. Uh, <clears throat> uh, even many religious women who wear a hijab by choice have joined the campaign to repeal the law. Uh, Maryam, who uh, 53, who observes the hijab law and lives in Tehran, recently travelled with her daughter to the holiday island of Kish in the Persian Gulf. They were surprised to find most women wearing short sleeves, sundresses, sandals, capri pants and T-shirts. Are we in Turkey or Iran? Asked her daughter, who was 26. So it looks like that at least that battle is over. I mean, what does that tell us about the regime, Jack? Are they that worried? They well, must be. Yeah. Uh, it's shown a, 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 I mean, they've shown to be an oppressive, 
bunch of bastards um, uh, with protesters, and we believe uh, more than a, more than a hundred people have been killed, have been summarily executed, or ex- subject to extrajudicial killings, and a number of people have been hanged most recently. Um, but uh, as any autocratic regime sooner or later discovers, there's only so many people you can hang. If the majority's against you, you're in deep trouble. Uh, we've been following Vietnam a bit, Jack. Uh, yeah, it's 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 the coming growth growth spurt it's, area. It's the next monster, isn't it, in yeah. Southeast Asia? Uh, U.S. Department of Commerce, the U.S. imported 101 billion worth of goods from Vietnam. Yes, imported from Vietnam is correct. 101 billion dollars worth of goods. To put that in perspective, Vietnam's exports to the U.S. equal a greater, uh, sorry, a quarter of its gross domestic product. They're growing rapidly, as recently as 2018, the U.S only imported $49 billion in goods from Vietnam in five years. They've doubled. Um, moreover, Vietnam runs a huge trade surplus with the US, or that won't please the Donald, will it? Yeah, <laughs> to be messing off about that. Uh, with the US, America's 2021 exports to Vietnam totaled only $11 billion, Jack. They're expecting um, uh, a GDP growth of about 8% this year, Vietnam. Well. Uh, if he's he got a lazy 10 or 20 or 20 million, he wants somewhere to invest it, head to Ho Chi Minh. All right. Very, very good advice, I think that is, Jack. And also a beautiful place to visit, isn't it? Mm. Just wonderful there on the China Sea. Um, now, look, uh, I've just been keeping an eye on things, Jack, in, as we move on to sport. Uh, Nine runs to get. Are they still short? They've got two wickets in hand. It is very, very tight. This is, uh, this is England. Playing New Zealand in Wellington, the second test there, uh, what do they need? They need nine runs now, Jack, with two wickets in hand. Yep. Um, and uh, uh, that Jack Leach, who you would think can't bat at all, but he's quite stubborn with the bat. He's he's not he's zero not out after 21 balls. Ben Folks down the other end. Then we've got Jimmy Anderson after that. It still could be a New Zealand win. We'll it see if we can get a result before we finish here. Um, very, Jack, very excellent Jack, game of cricket to watch. Jack Leach's techniques are all right. He just doesn't score any runs. Um, uh, but, yes. Jimmy, but, but Jimmy Anderson is a number 11's number 11. Yes, he is. I mean, look, he has hung around. I have a feeling he's got a test 50, and I know Leach has got a test 50 and, and maybe more than that. Look, it, 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 just to, to give anyone who hasn't paid much attention, uh, England absolutely smashed New Zealand the first test. Uh, then uh, in Wellington, uh, they won the toss and batted. Uh, they got 435 declared for eight, and that included 186 from Harry Brook, who just spanked the ball to all parts of the ground. Joe Root, who's in... Outstanding form again, got 153 not out. Um, and they scored their run so quickly. So they, 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 they scored 435 off 87. Off mm. 87 overs. It was just on five and, five and over, which is staggering sort of scoring. And the, the New Zealand bowling was just found a little bit wanting. Uh, you know, the... They don't have that strength in their fast bowling that they used to have. Tim Southey is a great player. He's the captain of New Zealand at the moment. New Zealand get into bat. They were at one stage uh, about, uh, oh, I think they were uh, <coughs> seven for 100 and um, and uh, going backwards very quickly. The skipper came out again, Tim Southey, and 
spanked the ball to all parts, got himself a quick 70 and had a little bit of support from the tail. They got to 209, but still not enough to avoid the follow-on, uh, which uh, which uh, the, the, the Poms put them back in. Uh, and then New Zealand showed some real grit, making 483 all out. Tom Latham, well, Kane Williamson back in form at 132, Latham 83. Tom Blundell was the last to go for 90. Uh, and uh, Devin Conway and Latham put on 149 for the opening partnership. So they gave him some, something to chase. I've got to quickly tell you, Jack, and I did let you know about this. Michael Bracewell, the uh, the offie, got run out behind the crease. So he actually was just jogging into the crease and uh, didn't ground the bat uh, and basically had his foot in the air, had not grounded his foot before he got past the crease and was run out in a ridiculous way. He could have, you know, hung around and got him another 20 or 30 runs with Blundell, um, but that wasn't to be. It was one of the most shameful <laughs> dismissals you'd ever want to see and um, you'd like to think the coach would pull him aside for a quick word. Uh, so Just as we speak, it's nine down, folks. Whoa, gone. there we go. So we got so, one wicket to go. Come oh, on, go, 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 go the Black Caps. Back go the Black Caps here. I, I almost feel like we should stop watching, stop recording and go and watch it. So uh, folks is gone and Leach and Anderson will not now try and get, what is it? I think seven it's about runs. seven. Yeah. Yep. Oh, dear. Well, we'll try and give you a, a, an end to that. I'm going to go and watch the highlights of that a bit later on. Been a great game. Enjoyed it immensely. Yeah, now, the, the, the baseball run out's one of the worst ones that we've ever seen. Oh, oh Jesus. Well, you know, I mean, they could have got another 20 or 30, and that would probably would have won them a game. I mean, it's as yeah. simple as that. Um, but um, uh, the, the mathematics on this is that there's a, there's a world championship of test cricket uh, that would be held in June. Currently on the ladder, Australia on top. India next. Actually, England are about third or fourth. Um, but if England win in New Zealand 3-zip, and that's a real possibility depending mm. on the outcome here and, of course, the third test. Yeah, but if Australia go down, but Australia will also need to go down zip four in India, then England will go into the final with India. Against India. Yeah. Against India. Now, mm. uh, so Australia basically need a draw. Need a draw in India or a win. Um, and uh, and England, well, they are playing excellent cricket. Bit of basball, Jack. Yeah, um, it, it's it'll be interesting to see how basball goes in the Ashes in, in, in the summer. Look, there'll be times. I mean, there'll be times when they get out for hundred and twenty, yeah. and and they're just told, "Don't worry about it," you know, because next time we'll get four hundred and twenty. We'll get four hundred and twenty, you know, in a, in, a, in a day and a bit. And the. Uh, the I think Australia have overrated themselves, um, uh, but England are actually pretty good now. Um, you know, they've got a batting lineup with Joe Root, this new fellow, Harry Brooks, who you know, scores gives 100 every second. Yeah, gives it a real touch-up. Um, um, uh, and uh, Johnny Bairstow to come back in and Ben Stokes. That's a pretty formidable, fast-scoring... I, don't, I uh, don't know that there's too much room there for uh, Johnny Bairstow, to be honest, mate. I mean, Ollie Pope's a hell of a good cricketer. Um, hmm. I mean, you know, probably the weakness there is in the opening department, but but um, look, it's it's a good strong side. Um, their their bowling is, you know, still relies heavily on Anderson and Broad. Um, Leach is an improved uh, uh, left arm uh, off breaker um, and more tight. He bowls better lines and lengths than he used to. Um, 
Um, yeah, look, it, 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 it promises to be an, an excellent Ashes series, but uh, Australia need to be on their toes if they're going to play in the World Test Championship. And we are not forgetting the women, of course, <coughs> who won um, uh, the Australian uh, women's T20 side uh, who beat South Africa in the World Cup final on uh, Monday morning our time, uh, won pretty comfortably by about 19 runs. Um, again, I make the point, Jack, and this is, I reckon, the best sporting team, in, in, in best team in any sport, any code, anywhere in the world at the moment. And are have been for as, a long time. Are they as good as the West Indies from, from back in the 80s? Well, I mean, did, did the West Indies win back-to-back World Cups? Did the, you know, I mean, they've won a Commonwealth Games medal in, uh, in, in T20 cricket. Uh, they've won, basically, I think, I think six of the of, of seven T Twenty World Championships. Their 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 Test sides very very strong. Their their um, their fifty over side is very very strong. World Champions there too as well. Look, we could argue about it all day. What what I'm saying is this is you know this is definitely the best sporting side in Australia, and it may well mm. be the best side in the world at the moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah, look, uh, we've got uh, the third test starting in in India. The, the men's getting back to the men's again. Um, uh, they'll they'll have a, they'll be bolstered with a few selections. I think Stark will play, and Green surely must play. Yes. So it would um, seem I, that they'll get, whether they whether they still play the three tweakers or not. I, 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 there, there is they, they certainly do have that option. And if Green plays, they'll have they'll have a second. Same option with Stark and uh, be able to bowl the, the three tweakers, but it'll all depend on the pitch, of course. I just hope we don't have the spectacle of the Australian captain and senior players out there spending an hour, um, uh, you know, poking and prodding at the pitch looking for demons. They just seem obsessed about it, don't they? <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, this is a long way from see the ball, hit the ball, but mm. um, which is this is pretty much how baseball works. Um, but yeah, they, they they just seem obsessed about wickets at the moment or pitches, and uh, they need to basically just concentrate on watching the ball. I mean, yep. when we did see the second test, and as I said last week, who, who would have thought swinging wildly across the line wouldn't work on <laughs> slow low wickets in India? Mm. Good lord! All right, aren't we are. Uh, that, that they actually seem spooked to me is is, is 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 how I see it. Oh, I think they got spooked. I mean, look, Cummins has come home, and and, and we know that his his mum his mum is in palliative care now, and mm. that's obviously taken a, a great toll on him emotionally. We wish him and her well, but um, uh, he he did look. We didn't know this at the time, but his his innings of one ball and the second dig. In India, you could tell there's a bloke who his mind was elsewhere. And he wasn't um, bowling well either. Hasn't bowled all that well. And again, you, you know, I mean, I think he's got a decent excuse. Mm. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, uh, you know, a bit of time away from cricket won't do him any harm at all. So, yes, we'll see if they play the three seamers, including Green, or whether they play the three the three uh, tweakers, which is probably worth a go. Again, one one. One bonus from from this uh, from this series is uh, is the um, is the arrival of Murphy as a as a pretty much ready to go off spinner. Yeah, the lad from Ichigo looks pretty good to me. 
Does look good, doesn't he? An, an, an unusual looking cricketer with the glasses on, but um, uh, yeah. work for Dan, work for Dan Vittori. He didn't do Bernie any harm either. Um, he didn't like the contacts when he was, I think, batting. He didn't mind them when he was fielding, but he, he used to he used to have the, the the glasses on when he was batting. Sometimes, sometimes, not always. Now, Jack, you're going to take us out as we uh, as we wrap up. Uh, uh, <clears throat> To, as we wrap up uh, the show today, and I'm still keeping an eye on. Uh, they need six now, Jack. They need six. Do you, do you remember? Do you remember Cats. Angela Davis? Yeah, help me out. Um, she's the uh, the progressive darling, uh, an African American woman. Right. Uh, she was at one stage arrested and charged with what today we would call terrorism offences, the killing of a judge to get um, somebody out of uh, a courtroom, uh, but she was acquitted of that. But she's remained, she's, a, she's an ac- academic these days, and she's a, remained as a darling of the, the lefty Shen. She's a former Communist Party member, lived in Moscow for a while. Right. Um, and has remained a darling of the... Patrick uh, Lumumba. Sort of, Patrick Lumumba graduate. Yeah, yeah, I presume so. Um, uh, the of the of the the extreme left end of the black African American community, but she went on one of these genealogy shows. You know, the, the, <laughs> yeah, the, the, where, the, where, the, where the ABC has one. The yeah. ABC runs one in Australia, don't they? No, SBS, SBS, SBS. Where does, do you come yeah. from? Yeah, and um, if you get a, get a look at it, um, it's quite quite the show because she's sitting there when the uh, African-American host says to her that you know that one of your ancestors arrived on the Mayflower, the first vessel to arrive in North America from um, from the UK. And uh, it gets better than that. That's on her father's side of the family. On her mother's side of the family, she's actually descended from a slave owner. But she arrived in America on the, on the Mayflower. Yeah. Good Lord. That must have come as something of a shock to her. It's a beautiful piece of TV because it did come as a shock. She handled it very well, but it did come as a bit of a shock. It must have, yes. Um, uh, It sounds like an episode from uh, The Office where where the boss there (laughs) decided he was descended. Well, it found out that he was descended from slave owners. Um, not Michael Scott, but his uh, subsequent replacement um, was was descended from slave owners, and, uh, and and the rest of the office was demanding reparations. Yeah. Um, we've got Titania. Just, 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 who's Titania McGrath, Jack? You're coming up with all these sort of vague names. Who's Titania McGrath? She's a, um, a it's, it's a satirical uh, Twitter site run by an English comedian called Andrew Doyle. All right, um, and um, uh, he's a. Uh, you know, he, he he does push the limits quite a bit, does Andrew Doyle in his in his guise as Titania McGrath, who's a uh, an intersectional uh, who describes herself as an intersectional post-feminist poet. Right. Um, um, uh, and uh, she, she writes the occasional column uh, for for the for the English um, press, and. Um, uh, her photo is that she's completely white, but you know, uh, often compared to Rosa Parks, this is unsurprising given that I have worked assiduously and selfishly throughout my life in pursuit of equity and inclusion. The only difference is that I wouldn't be seen dead on public transport. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good, and and uh, just moving on here, I have had some very good reviews of Cocaine Bear, Bear. which yeah. is sort of a slasher pick with a bit of heart, and it's actually the last 
uh, film uh, featuring um, a good fella star, Ray, Ray Liotta. Um, before he died, yeah. And yeah. Uh, there's a bit of fun and, to be had there. And the story is that in, in 1985, some drug smugglers were flying some cocaine into the United States and they were crossing, I think, Georgia or Tennessee um, when they decided that they were overloaded and tipped a bale of the coke out of the uh, out of the plane. And later on, uh, the, a bear was discovered dead and it had died of an overdose of the cocaine because the, the bear it was helping happen. himself. Mm. Um, and it was that's a pretty boring movie, but they kind of pretty boring story. But they spiced it up a little bit by having the bear run around killing people in the movie. Uh, yeah, and, no, that's right. Yeah, and apparently and it's a good show. Apparently it's a very good show. Uh, there's a, a, a lovely review in the Spectator by one called Deborah Ross, who I hadn't heard of, uh, and uh, the best comment, and it was quite what what I was expecting. I don't know. Maybe the bear would become euphoric and chatty and stay up until the wee hours before becoming paranoid <laughs> and crashing. <laughs> that would have been more interesting, surely. Oh, oh, she's not. She's not your slasher pick fan. But but yeah, um, look, I'll check it out uh, because of um, uh, because of Ray Liotta's last performance. So why? Yeah, and um, the uh, the bear is uh, the remains of the bear are stuffed in a in a, um, a museum in Kentucky, and he's known as Pablo Escobar. Well, there you go. And got a bit, got a bit of a sniffle <laughs> before he passed away. Thank you very much, Jack. We're still coming here. Jack Leach has got one run off 30 balls. He's obviously facing at this stage. And, and, um, and, and, and they need one. two. They need two. So we're not going to be able to give you the end of this test that I've watched. I've pretty much watched uh, the second and third days in total. Um, it's beautifully timed in Australia, what's the NZ cricket, um, because it starts pretty early, finishes pretty early. You can sort of uh, uh, avoid a lot of work that way. Um, mm. um, but, uh, yeah, so we, it doesn't look like we'll quite get you a result on that one, listeners. But thank you, Jack, for your time today and explaining the world and how it's all working for us. Yeah, pleasure to be pleasure to be here as usual, and uh, and we just remind our listeners, um, uh, I, like I didn't, I didn't give you the full the full blast from Ray, but uh, Ray um, Ray reckons he just loves the two jacks, mate. So uh, he's a big fan. Uh, but we do remind our listeners to drop us a line. Um, uh, you can get hold of me uh, uh, on on Twitter, and my DMs are always open there, Jack the Insider. Uh, and uh, Jack, uh, your uh, what do you call it? I don't even know what it's called. Oh, I'm on I'm on Substack. Just look for Hong Kong Jack on Substack, and you'll find me. Hong Kong Jack on Substack. So drop us a line if you've got any comments, thoughts, criticisms, of course, uh, of the program. Anything we'd love to hear from you. And that takes us out with uh, with. Um, with England just needing two to win and New Zealand needing a wicket, uh, we'll have to leave it there. I'll give you the result next week, but you'll know by then. Thanks, listeners. Yep. See ya. Cheers.